All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Talk and Pit. Today, I'm really excited about our uh, guest. Um, it is Ryan Grubbs. His title most recently, as of right now, is the Director of Speed Development with the Houston Texans. Um, he's also the Director of Insights and Innovations with Speed Solutions, working with Jonas Dodu. So, Ryan, welcome to the podcast. We're excited to have you. Appreciate you having me on. Definitely, definitely. So, Question one, Ryan, we're really excited to hear just you've had quite the diverse background um, getting to this point in your career as a director of speed development with the Texans. Can you talk to us about a brief overview um, just about your professional background and how you've gotten to this point in your career? Yeah, sure. Um, so up to this point, like I've largely bounced around the university collegiate setting for a while. Um, I grew up in Indianapolis. My first full-time job was a division two school university of indianapolis and so that was obviously you know good opportunity for me i was there for a few years and you know one of the my boss who was there at the time was you know one of my mentors steve barrick and so um largely you know good really good opportunity for me and then from there i kind of you know just bounced around a couple different places i've been at Ole miss you know i had the opportunity to you know learn from Paul Jackson, who I consider probably one of the best collegiate strength coaches in the country, especially in the football space. And then um, went to Louisiana Tech when I got the opportunity to work for Kurt Hester. And so, you know, I obviously I consider him a huge mentor of mine. And then from there, I went to Purdue, which was home for me. Um, worked under Justin Lovett, who's now the head strength coach for the Rams. Um then from there, kind of bounced over back over to Liberty. Um, got to work under Dom Stadzinski, the head guy at Auburn now. Was there for a few years. We obviously had a lot of success there at Liberty um, over those couple seasons that we were there. And then from there, just, you know, fortunate enough to, you know, know Matt Van Dyke and uh, Mike Eubanks and got on with the Houston Texans last season. And so, um, you know, Obviously, it's been a work in progress from there so far, but fortunate to be where I am. Yeah, definitely. I, I appreciate you sharing. And I think like all of us, we have a lot of stops along the way to get to where we're at and unique experiences and responsibilities at each spot. So um, I know with the Texans, you've had like, like two different titles working on the sports science side of the house and then also now more of the, the S&C side of the house. But I'm curious because a lot of people in our field um, are kind of navigating, especially younger people coming up, like, do I want to do sports science internship? Do I want to do a strength conditioning internship? Um, and you worked on both sides. So can you talk to, to myself and the listeners about what are some of the biggest day-to-day -day differences that you had working on both sides of the house and kind of dive into workflow or responsibilities that you have had with the Texans on both sides of the umbrella? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so my first my initial title um, coming into the Texans was Applied Biomechanics Coordinator. And so that was obviously under the sports science umbrella. I think it's important to kind of say that in the situation that we're in now, that we're very, very fortunate to have a lot of good resources and a lot of good people where we're at. And that the best sports science departments that I've been around and what I'm currently and or had the opportunity before I moved over to strength and conditioning was you have a lot of varied skill sets, even within sports science. So like sports science is a very loosely used term. I think it's a, 
occupation that's built out in performance that's still in its infancy. So people are still trying to figure out what it is and where it fits in still to this day. And it's got to go through its growing pains and things like that. But, you know, just for our example in particular, like my boss at the time, Matt Van Dyke, obviously is, you know, he's more SNC by trade and as well as me. And so we're on more of like the quote unquote applied side. So it's like, how can we leverage technology and use technology to almost be a support staff for every other department in the building? And it's very easy for us to have conversations because we've been through the performance side. We've been on the SNC side and things like that. So, um, but we also had um, another person who's in our department, Jonah Rosner, who's obviously um, much more on the computer science, data science side of things. So has much less interaction as far as like hands-on performance goes, like within training sessions, but very, very good on um, making data actionable for us and kind of taking care of all the data stuff. So you have a lot of different skill sets that kind of go into making up a good sports science department. But to me, like in my eyes, when you look at sports science and SNC, I don't think there's a huge difference between the two departments, nor should there be. I think there's strengths and weaknesses within each one. Like obviously the performance side um, is going to have much more interaction with athletes on a day-to-day basis as far as like training them within the sessions. S&C side is going to be much more hands-on with the data and leveraging the technology. But each department needs to have a working understanding of what each one does. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing now at this point is – is you've got people with certain strengths and certain weaknesses, but they're kind of leveraging those strengths and utilizing the strengths of the two departments to make uh, a pretty sound uh, performance model. Yeah, that's, that's great feedback. And I think speaks to a lot of what we're doing also here at Pitt. Um, most recently we hired Felix Prossel as our director of sports science this past June. So he hasn't even been in the role for a whole year yet, but just building out that department and how we've really used each other as allies, the strength department and sports science, um, going into conversations with head sport coaches. And he's able to, like you're talking about actionable data, back um, a lot of what we're thinking, actionable data and, and handouts and reports and speak to like what he's seeing uh, observation wise. Um, but then also we talk about the performance side of when the sport coaches are coming in and watching the training sessions live. They're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So those overlapping themes and qualities and how we can really use each other as allies or assets. But can you go into just a little bit more of some other beneficial ways of how you guys have collaborated? Um, Any examples between sports science and strength and conditioning on a day-to-day basis now that you've just ideally worked on both sides? Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to know that like all of almost all of the meetings we have around strength and conditioning or the performance program as a whole involves sports science and SNC in the same room, in the same conversations. I mean, the technology and the data that you collect and you use is only as good as the way that you can utilize it and leverage it. And so like sports science, the main goal is to make the data actionable and have immediate impact on the performance program. And so, like I said, like myself and Matt Van Dyke, I, we're obviously strength and conditioning coaches by trade. We came up in that kind of side. And so it's a very easy transition for us, for all the strength coaches and all the sports science department to sit in the same room and go over, you know, the day-to-day program, what needs to be done, 
you know, if we're trying to flag athletes on certain tests, what does this mean? What interventions are we trying to drive? If we're trying to look at the program as a whole from a, from a longitudinal perspective is like, how are we utilizing technology data and metrics to kind of drive our program in the right direction? And so it's very, very important in my, in my opinion, it's very important. I've seen success in sports science and SNC almost sitting in the same space. And like those conversations are happening daily between both performance and um, sports science, because again, like not to beat on the point too hard, but, sports science is seen as almost the support staff for the support staff. And so it's like, whether it's uh, medical return to play, nutrition, strength and conditioning, like all of this data flow is coming in and all of this technology is being used. And it's up to sports science to make these things actionable and let the support staff be able to utilize these things. Definitely. I think with it being such a fast growing field between sports science and then like also another layer is just sports analytics. There's a lot of different areas that are growing at a fast rate and trying to figure out um, how we can best utilize this personnel um, to really aid all the performance departments. And I mean, most importantly, the athletes at the center of it and the sport coach um, to have them one available, but two um, maximizing potential athletically is, is also really, really important. So I think that goes into um, I know last year uh, around the springtime, maximizing athletically and, and really trying to push the envelope from a continuing education standpoint here, um, we had brought in yourself and then also Jonas Dodu for a speed clinic, right? Um, and I thought it went really, really well, uh, really good turnout. And you guys did such a good job. And people are already asking us like, hey, when's part two? Um, but can you dive into, I know, uh, yourself and Jonas are kind of up to some new stuff now that kind of taps into a little bit of what we're talking about with the sports science elements. Um, but can you talk to me a little bit about your newest project of speed solutions? So like, what is speed solutions? What are you guys doing now? And, and really, what are you guys planning to do in the future that could help people like or personnel like myself or even our director of sports science, Felix Prossel, as we kind of, man, we have like 19 different sports here. So can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, Speed Solutions is obviously like a new labor of love. And so obviously, like Jonas has been a huge mentor of mine for, you know, many years now. And this has kind of been like an evolution in the making. And so obviously, like I'm in charge of essentially insights and innovation. So what Speed Solutions is currently is basically a movement analysis coaching system to simplify what you see. And so we leverage AI technology from view motion currently um, to basically, you know, record right now linear movement. So whether that's linear sprint drills, accelerations, horizontal jumps, um, any drill that you can perform to basically create a scoring system around projection switching reactivity. So the stable things that you should see and good, clean movement. Now there's the argument all the time of team sport athletes sprinting is context dependent, right? But there's a big push now. And it's even my current role in the Texans is like, we want to bridge the gap and narrow the gap between some of these tests that we're doing from a movement analysis standpoint in the weight room with close proximity of coaching or some of these tests that we're doing to try to determine injury risk or injury flags 
and what actually happens on the field. And so the easiest way to get to that point is to be able to analyze stable, repeatable movement patterns over time. And so obviously linear sprinting from the context of it's in a stable environment, we're trying to repeat the same thing over and over. You can get good, clean data and good, clean movement signatures on athletes over time, obviously without decision-making and things like that. But if you have that in conjunction with all of your force plate data, your Nordboard data, your movement screens that you do, it's a much cleaner picture of, of how those things are relating to the way that they move. And then the way that they move is how they load their tissues on the field. And it's very important to be able to track that across time. And so kind of bringing it back to speed solutions is one, there's obviously an area of people want to drive performance. Teams want to be able to, to be faster on the field. They want to close space quicker. Um, they want to be able to separate faster. Like those things are all come down to speed, right? And there's obviously speed is like a very hot topic right now. And, and for good reason, like the way that you move and the kind of just from a football sense, the way football offenses are going, spread offenses, speed up tempo, like the game's built on that now. And so coaches want to see it. They recruit it. They want to train it. Um, so performance is obviously a huge side. So how can we use movement analysis and drive exercise interventions, exercise programs to help coaches score their athletes based on the way they move, um, whether they're acceleration or velocity dominant, whether they're projection switching or reactivity dominant. So you have a technical and a physical perspective that you can try to improve. And then the other side of the coin is obviously health. And so like in, in our domain, specifically in professional sports, and you can take it all the way down to collegiate and even lower levels is if you run the same time, say you're running to 10 or 20 yards, if you run the same time to that distance marker, but you do it with a much more efficient and effective strategy that loads your tissues significantly better, is that not a win? And so if you're, if us as performance coaches are always going over the mindset of, you know, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be a stickler for the way that we train our Olympic lifts. We're going to be a stickler for the way that we squat, the way that we move, the way that we do our warmups. Yet we just don't take that same mentality to the field or almost say it's almost a moot point and that you can't change um, movement technique or it doesn't matter. Feel like it's a, you're missing a trick and that how you move in these kind of patterns is much more relatable and has much more higher degree of transfer to sporting actions when you do it through linear sprinting, change of direction, deceleration. Those have much higher degrees of transfer and how you load your tissues on the field, which in turn has a much higher degree of insight into how you're loading your tissues and at what risk you are for potential overuse or even acute injuries. Not saying that you're predicting injuries by any stretch of the imagination, but the way that you move certainly matters and the way that you move loads your tissues in a certain way. So the more we can get athletes to be efficient and effective, they're healthier, they're more confident, they perform better. That's what really Speed Solutions is all about. Awesome. No, I think, I mean, you've taught, you've touched on a lot of different layers of, of what you guys are rolling out. So I really appreciate that. And I'm curious, like, 
if someone's interested in speed solutions that's listening to the podcast, do you guys have a website or, or um, we could throw it in the, the bio, but what's the best way of kind of, if they have interest, finding out more information? Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, right now it's, we're getting our website up. Um, it's going to be, you know, speed solutions. And so we can obviously drop that link um, in the show notes, but obviously like social media perspective, like Jonas's SpeedWorks training or Jonas's page is obviously going to have a lot of information around like kind of the different things that we're rolling out. Um, but yeah, I mean, over the, over right now, like we're focusing on linear sprinting, obviously, cause that's just a huge, a huge area that coaches have interest in. It's probably the easiest entry point into, you know, being a little screen movement. It's because when you start to introduce change of direction and deceleration, things become much more variable from, from an athlete's movement strategy, rep to rep and things like that. But over the course of, you know, the next year or so, we're going to start to implement change the direction analysis, deceleration analysis, and be able to create composite scores around all of these different tests to be able to have game speed scores um, and different ways of analyzing movement from that kind of perspective too. Awesome. And, uh, that leads really well into my next question. Uh, I know yourself and Jonas are actually speaking at, towards the end of March, uh, Rob Pacey's Sportsmith UK uh, Speed Conference. So um, would you be willing to share like a, a sneak peek of some information or whatever your presentation may be at the conference, what you're looking to cover um, and what people should really be looking forward to? Yeah, um, the the talk is mostly going to be around how to develop exercise programs in a sense. It's going to be how to develop exercise programs through the lens of quantifying your degrees of transfer. So obviously when you make up a, when you're talking about team sports in particular, there's a list of a hierarchy of KPIs that you deem important. And so it change of direction speed could be one of those deceleration could be one agility or linear speed. And so for a lot of programs and in especially phases further away from competition and training camps, linear speed may be a really high priority that you want to hit on before you kind of go into more like change of direction speed or agility. So this is going to be more from the frame of reference that linear speed is a high is highest in your hierarchy of almost KPIs, what you're trying to train. So other things take a little bit of a backseat, right? And so it's from a, a drill perspective, a weight room perspective, and how you're almost formulating your exercise inventory and exercise roadmap is what exercises have, in our experience have the highest degrees of transfer to linear speed. And from that perspective is can you put hard metrics to it, right? And so if you almost have a, a Bonderchuk style of uh, frame of reference from dynamic correspondence, you're starting to measure things from how much ground reaction force there is, the orientation and direction of movement, um, ground contact time and velocity of movement or velocity of the limbs is obviously a key factor. So you have a, almost a a checklist of about four or five different things you're trying to check off that once the exercises start to fit multiple criteria, they end up leading into higher degrees of dynamic correspondence for those exercises. So 
a lot of the questions that strength coaches have is like what weight room exercises have the highest degree of transfer to linear speed or what drills have the highest degree of transfer because everyone knows like if you want to get faster like you need to sprint but what exercises can you use and prep periods of speed sessions and weight room sessions and even microdose across the entire week that have low residual fatigue that may actually give you more degrees of transfer than just saying squat more to run faster right and so when do these things come into play and like how you put them in your speed system are obviously going to be a huge um area cover in the conference and again like back to speed solutions one of the big things that we're kind of using to help coaches kind of develop their their programs and their exercise inventory yeah well i'm definitely going to take the time to get out there for the conference because there's a lot of great speakers of course yourself and jonas and, and many others so what a great conference coming up end of march so if you guys can get out there i would be there um, right so uh, next question. It's been interesting having so many different young people and interns reach out for um, whether it's like feedback on how to get to a position like yours or also like what internships or positions to, to go into to level up their career. But I think one of the, the biggest situations that happened that's a little bit different from us when we entered the field like 10 years ago is just the amount of social media uh, between Twitter and Instagram, how much information's out there and really how to delineate between like what's good info and bad info and what people to reach out to, to get um, good feedback or uh, getting mentors or advice. So I think I'm curious with young people, so overwhelmed with how much information's out there um, in the field right now, who are possibly like three practitioners that you would say um, that young people should look to to find quality content um, that you kind of are your go-tos or your staples maybe as you were coming up? Yeah, social media is an interesting one for sure. I think it's, I mean, it's obviously like a double-edged sword. And so it's like you need to be very, very strategic about the information that you consume and like that you allow yourself to consume because it can be so overwhelming and you can ingest a lot of bad information um and so it's almost like a lot of the best practitioners are the ones who aren't on social media so like finding those people is obviously like a little bit of a process and kind of a fun one to be able to do um but from for the perspective of like who i kind of currently follow and kind of look to and filter through and things like that i think if you're looking at i'll just kind of go down a couple different areas and so if you're talking about like strength and conditioning, almost like weight room programming, things like that, like I, Cal Dietz is obviously a huge one. Like he's active on multiple different platforms, um, at varying times. He's got lots of different courses and things like that out. Um, it's not like it's important to know, like take concepts from these people and not just try to replicate exactly what they do. And so we have a lot of, triphasic concepts in our programming and things like that and so he's obviously been a huge influence from you know being creative and how to like formulate training blocks and training plans and then paul jackson is obviously and kurt hester are obviously two other ones they're not as active on social media it's funny because like if you go back to the the times when paul jackson was at old miss like he put out like little montage youtube videos about their training like I remember watching those back in the day and was like, that's kind of the program I want to be involved with. But 
like do it like those kind of people I think are kind of leading the way and on that front um just had lots of success at very different places over time and so I think we're talking about the speed perspective obviously Jonas is like I'm biased but like he's one of the go-tos like the information he puts out um the domain expertise he has across multiple different sports track and field soccer rugby like is pretty unmatched obviously you know dan path is in that same it's in that same space like he's in my opinion like the go-to and so he's obviously like less active as far as like putting out day-to-day content but a quick like search through altis and some of their videos and you'll find like gold in there and then the last one would be dr ken clark and so I think he's probably the most impactful research on researcher on linear speed in our space in the past five or 10 years. And so he's obviously got a lot of cool projects in the works and is going to be putting like a lot of important information about. And so it's just making the information, the research applicable to strength and conditioning coaches. And then the rehab space, it's probably David Gray, probably the one I'm watching a lot more lately. And then one that a lot of people probably wouldn't think in the rehab space, but Boo Schechneider, like his concepts around rehabilitation have been like pretty impactful for me and how I develop RTP plans and things like that. And I think the last one is probably important to like push yourself outside of being comfortable is Chris Corfus. And so his, a lot of his concepts um around exercise transference the linear speed and the way he views the world through different exercises is very counterintuitive to a lot of people but it makes you think outside the box and it kind of pushes the boundaries of how you kind of start to develop programs yeah i know a lot of those names hit home for myself included in the sense of when i worked with track and field for five years at clemson I went out to um, see Dan. Um, I went to the Altus uh, apprenticeship and I was there for a few days and just being around him and hearing him answer questions. It was so powerful, but yeah, like had to go out there in person to really get the full effect of what all he knows. And um, Ken Clark's right here in PA. So that's pretty cool for us here at Pitt to have such a great resource. We got to get him over here. And then even Boo, I did like his uh, track certification at University of Georgia a while ago, I think. Um, just a lot of a lot of really great people that have such a wealth of knowledge that they kind of came up in a time that they had to crack open books and um, information wasn't so accessible. So I think, thank you so much for sharing all of those. Hopefully everybody has a pen out and they're just writing them all down. We'll make sure that it's a follow up and list some names too. No, I think it's important to to I don't want to like obviously speak for these guys, but like almost like get off the sidelines and like reach out to these people and like go watch some work because that's one thing to watch a video or even a course. It's a whole different element when you actually watch them move in their environment and you're actually able to talk to them face to face. And like they, each one of these people has been like more than happy to like dedicate their time. And obviously like offer, like ask them if you can go out there, but like, even offering like, Hey, like I'll pay you for your time. You know, <laughs> I'll buy you lunch. Like I'll buy you co- anything. Right. Like their time is valuable, but they have been like more than willing to like dedicate 
their time as much as possible. Like I've stayed at some of their houses. I've gone to watch them do training sessions. Like same thing. We went to watch Dan work at Altus and it's like things like this, like you're in an opportunity in a space now where you have a lot of really, really good practitioners doing a lot of really good things. And it's like, don't miss the opportunity to go watch some of these people, especially as a young performance coach. Like if you have time, like this is not to say like any conference is good, bad or indifferent. Right. But like, maybe don't go to a national conference one year and like go spend time shadowing some of these practitioners that you want to spend time with. Like a time is, I can't like oversell the fact that like this, that time spent with them is so invaluable because you're creating relationships and a network and, and an area. And like, you're just opening yourself up to a lot of different doors that you maybe can't do. If you spend time, you know, going to watch speakers with, you know, 5,000 other people there. Right. So, yeah, I think that's a really good point. And uh, even with conferences, if you think about where a lot of like your best conversations come from, it's usually like in between the speakers or when you're going out to dinner with people at night, like maybe you listen to the presentation and you're making notes and you're like, man, I want to follow up with all these questions. So a lot of the really good conversations and learning come from um, the in-between conversations and end of day and early morning conversations if you get in in the space and get a lift in and kind of brainstorm with people. So no, awesome. Hope everybody wrote those names down and Ryan can't thank you enough for your time and really sharing about all things, uh, sports science, strength conditioning, kind of what you're doing with Jonas, uh, with Speedworks solutions, what's to come with, a with some presentations and, um, really helping as young people come up in the field, some good context and, um, really just feedback as somebody that's mentored a lot of people in the field, I'm sure they'll appreciate it. We appreciate it. And um, thanks so much for being on the podcast. And I think biggest question to finish this thing off is uh, really where's the best way or what's the best way to, to reach out to you if people want to follow up with questions? Um, what are you willing to share? Yeah, I mean, my I think my social media handles are Coach R. Grubbs on both Instagram and Twitter. So like you can reach out to me there. I'm trying to be less and less active on those platforms. Um, but I'll always be checking them and things like that. And then uh, ryan.grubs at houstontexans.com. So you can always send me emails there. I'm on the email all the time. So email is probably the best way. But if not, you can reach out on one of the socials. Awesome. Yeah, just give him a few days on the socials and he'll get back to you. <laughs> Sweet. Well, Ryan, can't thank you enough. I uh, hope you have a great day and we'll be in touch soon. Appreciate it.